Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to Causes or Cures. I'm Dr. Eeks, your host. Thanks for joining in today, uh, wherever you may be in the world. Welcome. So, obesity. The obesity epidemic. This is a topic that I've been focusing on for 2022 on the podcast. So I've been on the lookout for articles related to new obesity research, diet, metabolism, so on and so forth. I recently found an article about a protein in a portion of the brain called the hypothalamus that was found to be linked to something called autophagy and metabolism, and therefore weight and obesity. Now, it wasn't easy to read this article. It was quite technical, but I got the gist of it. (laughs) And I said to myself, well, how cool if that little protein can control metabolism? That's a big deal. So then I decided to reach out to the researchers and they graciously agreed to come on and talk more about this protein and their study. So with me today is Dr. Matthias Schmidt, who is the research group leader of neurobiology of stress resilience at the Max Planck Institute of Psychiatry in Munich, Germany, and Dr. Niles Gassen, who is a research group leader at the University of Bonn Medical Center in Germany. So in the podcast, they are going to talk about why they were interested in this protein to begin with. What did they know about it? What what did they want to learn? Uh, How is this protein linked to autophagy and therefore metabolism and obesity? By the way, they will explain what autophagy is and why you should care about that. Uh, So don't worry. You'll also hear me murder its pronunciation in the podcast because we recorded this already and um, I (laughs) I struggled to say that word. Um, And they'll explain the link to metabolism and therefore how these findings might be used to help people who are struggling with obesity or struggling to control their weight, right? Because that's the practical stuff that we really care about. All right, give me a couple seconds here while I connect to the podcast. All right, so on the line, we have Dr. Matthias Schmidt and Dr. Niles Gassen. Thank you guys for joining. Are you both at the Planck Institute? No, I was at the Max Planck Institute, but uh, I left it in 18. Okay, okay. So, well, let's start there. Do you guys mind telling us a little bit about yourselves and the type of work you do and how you got interested in obesity-related research? I'll start. Um, So, yeah, I'm actually a researcher in the field of stress research, so I do a lot on I'm really interested in in how stress affects the body, how uh, both in health and in disease states and and what the consequences of stress exposure are and why some people are more resilient to stress exposure than others and some are really vulnerable to it. And uh, in this research, uh, I really found a lot of, uh, like initially I was focusing a lot on, on psychiatric disorders, stress and psychiatric disorders, where stress is really a major risk factor for diseases like depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, but more and more um, over, over the years, I learned that there is a, a strong interaction between the peripheral uh, body and the brain, and that these diseases of the brain, like psychiatric disorders, are not isolated if you want, but there's a lot of interaction going on and specifically also with metabolic system. So uh, I work in in a model system in the mouse 
And often when we had uh, stress exposure, when we had uh, genetic manipulations that, uh, that mimicked a certain risk for, for example, depression, uh, we also found that these animals had a metabolic phenotype. They were suffering from obesity or they were gaining more weight uh, or they were glucose intolerant. And then we started to focus on this and also on this interaction between stress, psychiatric disorders and obesity. Interesting, thank you. Um, Niles, would you like to go next? Well, you're, yes. you're the only other person who can go next. So. <laughs> so Matthias and I, we more or less started at the same starting point, so stress-related diseases, but um, I came to metabolic disorders more from the mechanistic point of view. So I'm studying more molecular pathways and uh, um, yeah, mechanisms that, that that are responsible for the um, molecular homeostasis. For, so to maintain the protein degradation and and provide somehow energy metabolism and cellular response to stress. And uh, during the years now, I think I know Matthias for thirteen years. Um, we together develop uh, models and, and identify mechanisms that link all those uh, uh, phenomena to each other. So stress-related diseases, metabolism, and uh, the, in, in my case, autophagy. So a mechanism that is responsible for protein degradation that is tightly connected to inflammation, to stress-related uh, um, stress diseases, but also to metabolism. And yeah, I think the, the paper that came out recently, so two weeks ago, um, is already the second big paper that links all those fields together. And um, yes, I think it is very, as Matthias already mentioned, it's clear that also physiologically, um, stress links also those topics to each other. And this is where I put my focus on. Matthias, and, and we work hand in hand on, on the same, I think on the same path. It is okay. the same goal to identify and to understand the mechanisms behind those in, uh, links between metabolism, stress, and uh, inflammation, autophagy. Yeah, you know, lots of lots of lay people will be like, well, oh, it's stress, it's stress. And it's always interesting to hear when people start to research that and find science behind these things, you know. Um, so this is a very technical paper, but, you know, one word that keeps popping up is um, autophagy. Am I, am I saying that right? Is it autophagy? Autophagy. Autophagy. <laughs> autophagy. I wasn't sure where to put the hype. Okay, autophagy. So is, is that right? Autophagy. Yes. Okay. Autophagy. <laughs> Autophagy. Okay. Um, so can you start out by explaining what, what that is, why we should care about that, and how is that related to obesity? So um, autophagy is a cellular mechanism. It is, um, uh, yeah, it is functioning in all of our body cells, and it it is important to degrade unused proteins and organelles. So it, when, when an enzyme or a protein is used for synthesis or does its function in the cell, it needs to be degraded again. And uh, what you should keep in mind is not only a degradation process, but it is also important to provide new building blocks for, for example, um, 
yeah, new enzymes or do do for new cells or cellular systems. And um, the link to to metabolism is a yeah, I think it's a two-edged sword. So one side is that um, metabolism, especially the energy metabolism, has a is tightly linked to autophagy. So it is a more or less an inhibitor of autophagy, but the other way around, when autophagy is, is active, also new nutri nutrients will be provided when organelles or proteins are degraded. So it is um, it goes into both directions. Autophagy is, is um, acting on metabolism and the other way around, energy metabolism is acting on autophagy. Okay. Was okay. it an answer to your question? <laughs> yeah, no, no. And that would, if it affects metabolism, it could, it would affect obesity. Uh, yeah, uh, yes, yeah. yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the title of your paper, uh, Mediobasal Hypothalamic FKBP51 acts as a molecular uh, switch linking autophagy to whole body metabolism. So this FKBP51, is that what you guys are calling it? Is that just, is there an easier yeah. way? Yeah, okay. unfortunately there is no, I, I wish that we, I mean, we didn't come up with the name, that's for sure. I wish it was an easier name that we could, you know, stress factor one or, <laughs> you know, autophagy regulator one or something like this. But it is actually, you know, as a bulky name, has historical reasons. But if you say it more and more often, it comes across the tongue more easily, FKBP51. It's so probably <laughs> somebody's email password. I'm just saying it's, 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 it's hard to say. But um, yeah. so why were you interested in studying this protein? And, and what was known about it before you guys began? So yeah, I mean, in the beginning, um, uh, this uh, chaperone, so FKBP51 is a chaperone protein, which basically means it interacts and helps the interaction of other protein complexes in the cell, um, and thereby has the function to, uh, you know, ease protein-protein uh, interaction and make certain pathways more or less likely or possible. And uh, initially, this uh, this chaperone was found uh, because of two uh, uh, like scientific findings, if you want. One was that it is directly interacting with one of the main receptors for the stress hormone cortisol. So uh, most people will know that cortisol is one of the uh, uh, main stress hormones in the body. Whenever you're stressed, specifically when you're chronically stressed, there's pretty high levels of this of this hormone circulating, and this can have maladaptive and negative consequences. And this chaperone FKBP51 is, uh, has a very specific function in the interaction with the receptor of this uh, stress hormone cortisol. And on the other hand, uh, a couple of years back, uh, there were findings from geneticists which looked at initially uh, depression and other psychiatric disorders that polymorphisms, so minor uh, changes in the sequence of this gene uh, encoding for FKBP51 were significantly associated with the incidence of psychiatric disorders as depression. Later on, it was also found that other stress-related disorders, like, for example, the diabetes, were also genetically linked on this 
gene for FKB51 with the incidence of, the, uh, of uh, type 2 diabetes, for example. So this is how we started to work on it. And we thought, okay, this is a protein which is centrally positioned to, on the one hand, affect the function of the stress system. And on the other hand, seems to be genetically linked uh, to the risk of a number of stress-related disorders, including psychiatric disorders, but also metabolic disorders. So we wanted to find out what this protein does, and we started to manipulate it in our model systems, both in cells, but also in mice, and see what manipulation of this protein would do in terms of the phenotype and potential stress resilience. Interesting. And, and I think that was a really good explanation that um, a lot of people can understand. Um, so as simple as you can, how did you demonstrate that this protein regulates autophagy in the, in the hypothalamus? So, yes. yeah. <laughs> so um, Matthias' lab designed some, some tissue-specific knockouts and overexpression mice models in, in the hypothalamus. And later on, we observed, for example, body weight. And we observed that the body weight phenotype it strongly depends on the level of FKBP51 in the hypothalamus. So this was, I think, the, the most important finding and our initial finding we had in, in this study. We also observed uh, the mechanism in the periphery, so in the uh, fat and muscle cells, but also in the brain itself. So when we modu modulate autophagy by changing the levels of FKB51 in the hypothalamus, we could also change the body weight, but also the autophagy in the periphery. So in fat or muscle. Yes, and, and, and maybe to add on to this, uh, what Niels's lab is doing uh, is then really to measure and quantify autophagy. And this is relatively straightforward possible by quantifying for example, substrates, uh, proteins, which we know are degraded by autophagic pathway or just steps, proteins, which are in the autophagy cascade and which we know are activated or deactivated in this process. And you can quantify uh, the, the amount of proteins uh, which are present when you have FKBP51 active or not active or overexpressed or knocked out. And then you can basically make make a, a watertight story and, and show on, on all different levels that uh, indeed manipulation of FKBP51 directly affects this pathway and not uh, maybe another one. Yes. Okay, and I, have, I, I don't have your paper in front of me, but I have my notes and I wrote down that this protein is induced after starvation. Is that a correct statement? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. I mean, I've heard of um, autophagy when people talked about like fasting. I've heard it before in different wellness circles and that kind of thing, but I never really, um, you know, dove into that. Um, so in simple terms, does this essentially mean, in your opinion, does this protein control our metabolism and therefore um, weight gain? So in simple terms, I would absolutely say yes. Yeah. Okay. So we know that uh, uh, by our research now, we can very clearly show that if you manipulate the levels of this protein, 
either genetically or also we didn't use this in the current study but in a previous one with an inhibitor which is available so uh, which is basically a drug in development which we can use to uh, inhibit or deactivate fkpp 51 uh, and when we do this we directly affect uh, uh, how our body controls metabolism and at the end of the day how we are reacting for example to a high fat diet uh, whether we're gaining a lot of weight or just a little uh, to this circumstance. The devil, of course, as always, is in the details, right? Okay. So uh, if you then look um, in specific tissues or specific cell types, uh, you will find that uh, this protein in one cell type may do different things than in another cell type. Right. But overall, and we have shown this both with the drug treatment, which obviously reaches every cell in the body, if you want, uh, but also with full body knockouts of FKBP51, which are uh, lacking FKBP51 in the whole body. First of all, we know by this strategy that it is safe to deactivate FKBP51. So there's no negative side effects that we could observe, neither with the drug treatment, nor with a genetic knockout. And we know that the net effect in the whole body when we manipulate FKBP51 is indeed a positive one, both actually, by the way, on the stress resilience part, and also on the on the metabolism, so leading to a leaner uh, phenotype, which is uh, which is less likely to induce diabetes type phenotypes following a high fat diet, for example. Okay, and I know you just I know you touched on the word knockout, and I, I know people hear that word a lot, um, or they might see it in research, um, like knockout mice. But can you just tell people who may not know what that means? What that means. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it, I mean, it's a in, uh, in relatively straightforward uh, way to, if you have the genetic code of a mouse, for example, and you, uh, by genetic means, take out a certain part of that, which is really a small part, which is encoding for just one of the proteins in, in the body, then this mouse would then be called a knockout mouse for that specific protein. So it will not express a functional protein of whatever you are targeting. So the original or like uh, somewhat older models in this were basically targeting the whole body. So every cell in your body would not express the protein of interest. Uh, more modern techniques then allow to really fine tune this to a specific cell type or a specific region in the body or organ in the body uh, and also in a specific time, uh, not necessarily throughout uh, life, but maybe also only in adulthood, right? Um, but in general, a knockout means the gene or the protein is gone. Right, right. And I just, I just wanted, because I, I, I hear that word a lot, and I'm, I wonder sometimes people may not know what it means, but that was a clear explanation. Thank you. So, Nels, you, you touched on this a little bit before, um, that this protein alters sympathetic outflow to muscle and fat. Um, what, what does that mean, you know, in a practical way, from a practical perspective? Well, um... From a practical from practical perspective, that one has to consider or keep in mind that the brain, uh, as I said before, is not isolated uh, in the body. It's basically controlling bodily functions and gets also feedback from the peripheries or from all the organs back into the brain. How are things going, basically, right? And sympathetic outflow, so 
the activity of the sympathetic nervous system, uh, the release of adrenaline and noradrenaline in the periphery signals uh, all the different organ systems, how are they supposed to function, to what extent are they supposed to function in a very general term, right? And if you alter this outflow, the activity of the system to metabolic organs like muscles, which are one of our prime metabolic organs because they're using up most of the glucose that, uh, that we have in the body. So they're very uh, decisive if you want for uh, phenotypes like diabetes, right? And the other very important, another very important organ is fat, all the different fat depots we have in our body, which are also not just a storage uh, of energy, if you want, but are active uh, tissues, which are also secreting hormones and which are innovated by the sympathetic nervous system. So this crosstalk, if you want, is affected when we alter uh, uh, the protein of interest, in our case, FKBP51 in the in the hypothalamus, so in the brain, a part of the brain, then we affect the control of the peripheral tissues. And this has direct effects on how these tissues are energetically active, how, whether they're storing energy or, or, produce, or, or using up more energy. Um, and that basically at the end of the day leads to, for example, more energy expenditure and a, and a leaner phenotype, even though you're taking up the same amount of calories. Interesting. Um, and that's kind of a perfect segue to my next question here. Uh, as I was mentioning in the beginning of the podcast, before we started recording, um, I mean, everybody knows obesity is a massive problem here in the States and uh, increasing an increasing problem in a bunch of developed nations, um, even lower income nations. So how could the results of your study potentially be of use to someone who is struggling with obesity or excess weight? What, what, what would it potentially, could it mean for that person? Maybe I can comment on that. Um, currently we are developing a special diet. So we use soup food supplements to induce autophagy. And um, yeah, with, with findings like the, the study Matthias presented and we published uh, uh, two weeks ago, this gives us more information about the, the, the effects when we uh, use supplements like that, when we induce autophagy, what is going on in the body. So in the end, we can hopefully uh, uh, design a more specialized diet or, or um, e eating um, behavior or, or some, some, how can I call it, some yeah, special diet to induce autophagy and to lower symptoms like uh, inflammation that are related to obesity. Okay, and that was yeah. actually my next question, you know, because um, Matthias, you mentioned um, that you could block this protein potentially or find, you know, find a molecule to, to block it, which, and I was thinking, okay, so like a drug or something, an inhibitor. But my, my other question was, could you manipulate this process or this, the, the activity of this protein through diet and it sounds like you can. Um, now, I'm just curious. Uh, I don't know if you if you if you can, but is, are there any are there any specifics to this diet or these supplements that you could talk about? Yes, Niels, go ahead. No, go ahead. We use so what we found what what was our, one of the initial findings in the paper was that FKBP51, this protein, is modulating one 
pathway of the cellular metabolism, the polyamine pathway. And in, in this, within this chain of, of signaling, there is this uh, polyamine called spermidin. And this is lowered by FKBP51. When we supplement people or mice with, with spermidin, we can increase autophagy again and also lower symptoms like inflammation, obesity, and uh, also stress resilience, for example. Yeah. Uh, uh, would, would be via a metabolite uh, spermidin. Maybe to add to this, I think uh, what you're asking, obviously, this is the, the million dollar question everyone then wants to know. Like, so the research <laughs> is super nice, um, but then what can we now do, right? So there's different paths we're taking. On the one hand, we are actively pursuing the development of uh, FKBP51 inhibitors as drugs, which at some point should be available to patients, for example, suffering both for psychiatric disorders, also metabolic disorders to improve their uh, suffering and, and, and to uh, battle the diseases they, they have from this. But this obviously is a long process. We have a good candidate, which is working excellently in mice, uh, but this uh, drug candidate is not uh, that doesn't have all the properties yet that it needs to have to really go into clinical trials. Uh, for example, it is a little, bit, a little bit too big, uh, solubility issues. So we're working uh, on this together with a chemist. We're closely working together also here in Germany, Felix Hausch, uh, who is developing these inhibitors. And, and we're actively pursuing this, but this obviously takes time. Uh, so someone who is at the moment suffering and wants to get quick relief, uh, this may not come in time or uh, may not be something they want to wait for. So the nice, I think, uh, conclusion of our study is that there's other things one can do generally to stimulate autophagy. And Niels already mentioned dietary interventions with spermidine, which by the way is already available. So this is a food supplement uh, one can already um, uh, purchase and, and, and try out. Uh, but on the other hand, there's uh, certain dietary interventions like uh, intermittent fasting, interval fasting, also activity, for example, when it comes to, to, to sport, which we know is, uh, is also activating autophagy. So there are certain uh, interventions that everyone already can start out trying and doing, uh, which we know will stimulate peripheral autophagy and will thereby, uh, we would at least presume from our mouse data, also uh, increase the resilience for stress-related metabolic disorders. At the moment, we're actually trying to, to gather additional data for this. Also in, in human cohorts, we have uh, we are ongoing pilot studies with smaller uh, patient populations or also healthy people, uh, which, uh, which we're, where we're looking at how dietary interventions or also lifestyle interventions will affect uh, autophagy and then on the long run also metabolism and resilience to stress. So I think that's a really positive answer because it seems like there's a, a solution in there for everybody um, or a potential solution. Anyhow, I, I actually recently started doing intermittent fasting. Well, about a couple of years ago, and I just stuck with it. Um, I was uh, I, on a previous podcast. I had a neuroscientist from Johns Hopkins University um, who was very positive about some of the research. And uh, I have someone coming on tomorrow, actually, um, from the University of Arizona to talk about intermittent fasting. 
Um, you know, there's more studies coming out about that, but, um, but th this sounds really interesting. So um, my next question, and you just, you both basically answered it was uh, the other research you were working on in this area, but I was curious in terms, is there a timeline for um, this inhibitor protein that you're working on when maybe people might see some results from um, animal studies? So there are already a few animal studies by us and others uh, published on this. Uh -huh. uh, but to, to really get into a clinical setting, I would say uh, maybe within the next five years. Next five? Okay. All right. Well, there, there will definitely be a market for it. That's for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, this was very interesting. Thank you so much uh, for your time and um, for presenting it in a really clear way. Uh, you guys did a really good job with that. So thank you for that. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. And, and please keep in touch or I'll, I'll keep in touch with you guys. And if there's any more uh, research or results that come out, um, hopefully you'll come back on causes or cures. Yeah, that would be good. Great. Thank you. Okay. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you guys. Bye. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you got something out of that. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me through my website, bloomingwellness.com, or find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all those wonderful social media sites where everyone gets along so beautifully. Um, and if you can, subscribe, share, tell your friends. I really appreciate all the shares. And of course, I always appreciate all the feedback. Um, I do the best I can. Hopefully it wasn't too loud or there wasn't a lot of noise um you know recording this in new york city there's always noise because it's it it really is it's the city that doesn't sleep everyone's up i didn't sleep last night <laughs> but that's for another podcast okay um and again thank you to our two researchers for coming on and sharing their research uh it's really interesting and we'll see what comes of it all right guys till next time and hopefully we'll see you back here on causes or cures bye for now